Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. You know, I think we've seen several miracles this morning. We've seen the miracle of birth and babies, and we also saw the miracle of Hawkins standing with a cast next to uh, Kylie and not taking her out in all those motions. Did you see that over here going on? I was just waiting for that cast to go boom and see Kylie, but he managed both services not to hit her. It's really, really quite, quite amazing, isn't it? Well, we're, uh, we're continuing our series today called uh, The Christian Disconnect. And what we get to celebrate today, this Mother's Day, is actually a disconnect that is, I think, the most rapidly dis- increasing disconnect in America today. And it's being written about all over the pages of both secular news and Christian art- authors writing about it, talking about some of them are trying to prove how we need to solve this and change it. And there's actually other people writing about this disconnect today, trying to justify it and make it okay. It's a really hotly debated thing, and it comes down to this simple phrase. When we believe in God, but not in his church. When we believe in God, but not in his church. Jesus says about the church, he says, I'll build the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that kind of a picture for us is this amazing expectation of a thriving, powerful, beautiful, meaningful, life-changing, community-changing type of a thing that we get to be a part of in church. But the experience for most of us of church falls far short of that, doesn't it? I mean, if we're really honest with it. And we all struggle with this disconnect in some way or another. I personally struggle with this quite a bit often. And many of you are going to say, well, yeah, Ross, you're a pastor. How can you struggle with it? You're giving your whole life to the church. How can that be true? Well, I grew up as a PK, pastor's kid, and I loved God. But most of my life, I was not too impressed with the church. And I frankly didn't want to be a pastor. And I spent, I've spent 25 years now as a pastor in some really great experiences with church. And I've spent 11 of those years as a full-time consultant working with churches. And I've seen some really great, healthy, wonderful experiences of church. I've seen many disappointing. And I've even seen and experienced some really horrible experiences of churches. And as I've been around all those places I've been to and all those churches I've worked at, I've talked to thousands of people who are disillusioned, with the church. They may still be there. Some of them actually left, but many are still in the church, but they're disillusioned with what the church is. People who believe in God, but not in the church. And the question is, why should we bother with church? I mean, why? I mean, in years gone by, Sunday meant going to church, having a family meal and rest. But today in our 24-7 world, it's anything but that. Sundays is just another weekday. It's a prime opportunity for shopping, for sporting events. For, it might be the only day we can sleep in. It's a day that we often work. And, and church just gradually becomes lower on the priority list for us, doesn't it? And others, others of you, you think about church and it conjures up feelings or emotions or memories that are negative, that you're actually asking why church and you're kind of repulsed by the idea at times because you've had experiences in the past where you say, well, church is boring or church is just superstitious nonsense. 
that we've had to deal with. And so much of it was just uh, alarmism and stuff. And, and some of you have had the experience where you'd look at church and you say, well, it just feels like an insider's club of hypocrites acting like they're better than us. And, and for some of you, it's, it's even more fundamental than that. You're going, my church experience didn't answer the core questions I need answered to live out there on a daily life. And it just doesn't have the guts or the clarity to deal with it either graciously or at all. And if they do deal with it, sometimes it's just harshly and it just doesn't make sense, right? We've all had those experiences, haven't we, with church? And, and even, for, um, even for many of you who attend church still, you're here, but when you think of church, it's kind of this lukewarm feeling, isn't it? It's kind of this, uh, I, I still do church because it's right, but it doesn't really, it doesn't really drive my passion. Or maybe you're just still here for another reason. Maybe you're here just because you haven't found a better way to be intentional about seeking God, but it still isn't too inspiring. You see, this question of why church is increasingly being asked and answered in our culture in a negative way or at least an uninspiring, ambivalent way, Right? We uh, even have the definition of what it means to be committed to church and a committed attender of church changing. Not that many years ago, a committed attender of church was readily identified by three to four times every month, but a recent study shows that that the definition of a committed person to a church in America today is three out of every eight Sundays being in church. So that you can see that ambivalence, right? There are reasons behind that. And we can't just say those things and go, oh, boo-hoo the church and why don't people just become committed? No, there's reasons behind it and we need to understand those reasons. We need to understand the reasons why we believe in God but not as church. Now, what you're not going to get today from me is this rigid promotion that if you're not in church all the time, you're a bad Christian. You're not going to get that from me today. And you're also not going to get from me saying that we should take this awkward social cultural stance and we should say that our kids can't play in Sunday tournaments or Sunday games because they must be in church. Uh, I'm not going to do that. Most of the five people I'm praying for that they'll get connected to God are actually parents of my kids' uh, soccer team. And uh, two weeks from now, I'm going to be gone to Michigan, enjoying my son play a game on Sunday and spending time hanging out with my five who, are, who, who I'm building friendships with. I don't want to get us into any of those rigid types of thinking. But the reality is, today, what we're going to look at is try to understand what the church really is, what God wants it to be. And he's really placed in each one of our heart a desire for it to be that. And that's part of the reason we have this disillusionment and disconnect because being created in his image, we have this desire placed by him for it to be something more than it is. And we're also going to talk about how we can become that strong, effective church that God desires. So over the years in talking with thousands of people, working with hundreds of churches and researching, I'm going to submit to you that the reason many people are struggling with church is because it's as if we've received a gift. I actually got these from a friend of mine who liked dumpster diving and got them out of a dumpster, and they're really my favorite, some of my favorite shoes. gives us a gift of shoes, but we wear them on our hands because we don't understand what they're used for. And that's the way we all too often look at church. We have this gift 
that's supposed to be on our feet, but we're wearing it on our hands, and we don't understand. And when it doesn't work and life doesn't work as well because we're walking around like this, we get angry at God and angry at the church because we don't understand the picture God wants for us to understand of church, and therefore we have wrong expectations of it. And that's really where we're going to go today is to try to give us a picture and try to understand how we have some wrong expectations and move beyond that. See, when we live life believing in God but not his church, we actually undermine God's good intent for what he wants us to experience in our faith experience and our church experience. This is a really important message because it affects every single one of us. So I just want to pause for a moment. I want you to, I want you to with me, just say, God, Holy Spirit, just come and help me. Help me understand the areas I've been disillusioned or underwhelmed with church. Help me understand what's going on with me. Help me understand the picture that I need to change so that I can experience the joy and the beauty you have. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would come and do that for each one of us today. We welcome you today in Jesus' name. So the question is, what is church? Well, there's a simple word that we get our word church from in the Bible. It's it's ecclesia. It's a Greek word. And it just simply, by the time of Jesus' day, it simply had come to mean an assembly of people. It's not a place. Church is not a place. It's a people. Now, that sounds trite. We've all heard that, right? But this term ecclesia was not even a religious term of the day. It wasn't used to refer to religious gatherings. In fact, there were actually other Greek words in the day that were used to refer to a, a gathering of religious people. This was actually the popular term of the culture of that day, used to talk about pretty much any gathering, but primarily it was used for gatherings like maybe a a civic gathering where we gather for a common purpose with a common identity under a common authority. So when we talk about in the Bible and see this word and it says it's the ecclesia of Christ our Lord or the church of Jesus, what it's actually saying is this is a gathering of people for the purposes of Jesus. That's the reason you often hear me talk when I'm praying or when I'm up here. You often hear me say an awkward way of saying it, that you who are the who are quest. We who are quest. Quest is not this building, this build, or even what we do in this building. Church is not this building or even what we do in this. It's just simply the suit of clothes. It's the tool that we use to do some of our stuff that God has called us to do as an assembled people under his authority with his common identity and his purpose. And so you and I are the church. Today, right now, we're the church. When you go out of this place and you go out to eat or you walk the mall this afternoon or you sit in your backyard with family or, or friends, you are the church all the time wherever you go. God's hope, the Bible teaches us, is actually invested In you and me, the church, individually and when we're assembled together, we are the church. In fact, Jesus is so intent about this that he says when he went away, he said, it's better that I go away and I give all of you the Holy Spirit because you're going to do more than I could ever do if I stayed here. That's how important we as the church are. And so the question for today is, can we receive that hope for us? The church. Can we believe in that? Can we receive that picture of the church for us and really believe it? See, the reality is when you don't believe the church, in the church, when you believe in God but don't believe in the church, you're actually berating yourself. You're putting yourself down and you're putting everybody else who's sitting next to you down 
Not believing that God can do anything through me. Not believing that God has a purpose and can do anything through the person next to me. That's what's going on when we say we believe in God but not in the church. We're actually putting ourselves down. God's hope for the world is through the church. And he, desi- he describes the church in really rich ways all throughout the Bible. He uses a lot of metaphors, and we're going to talk about a bunch of those metaphors. We're going to talk about the bride of Christ, or sometimes it's used as uh, God's betrothed, or basically we're God, Jesus' fiance. And, and it talks about the body of Christ under the headship of Jesus. It talks about the church as a family or a nation. It talks about us as a royal priesthood and as soldiers under God's command. So we're going to ponder those metaphors to try to get a healthier view of what church is and who we are in the church so we can achieve that power that we all know should be part of who we are as the church today. So we're going to start with the bride of Christ. And there's many passages this is talked about in, but we're going to start with one in Ephesians 5. And it reads this way. It says, love your wife just as Christ also loved the church as his bride and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she, his bride, would be holy and blameless. And this tells us a lot about who we are and who we're becoming in this text, in this metaphor, this image. And it's always a we thing. It's never you alone. You alone are not the bride of Christ. It's us together who are the bride of Christ. And it teaches us three things in this, in this image. It teaches us three things. And one is God's goal for us through the church, and that is simply to cleanse us and to heal us, to restore our beauty and to remove our spots and wrinkles and make us beautiful. And therefore, church is about change. It's about us changing and it's about growth. It's like ladies a spa on steroids where you get to go to God and you get this divine makeover and Manny and Petty and all this skin treatments that make you all shine and beautiful and hair treatments. Or it's like going to a physical therapist who takes your wound and, and, and helps you learn to use your shoulder without pain again or, or whatever it is. Or it's like a, a really good hot shower after a day when you've been really messed up and dirty. I mean, I've had plenty of those days growing up working on farms coming home and I remember one day walking into the garage and my mom could smell me before I even opened the garage door and she hollered at me saying take a shower and you know what I always looked forward to those showers really long hot showers after a long day getting really dirty on the farm and the question is do we come to church gathering together with that kind of eager anticipation that God is going to change us. He's going to make us better. He's going to clean us. He's going to heal us. He's going to take the burdens off our shoulders. He's going to remove the wrong type of thinking that we have that prevent us from achieving all the abundance and beauty and and joy that he wants us to have. But when when I bring that up, I'm sure that some of you probably immediately go to this place of fear of confrontation. Like, does that mean you're just going to constantly confront me and I'm going to have to be a navel gazer all the time with all the garbage and dirt and live life condemned and and embarrassed? But, But the reason we struggle with that is because we don't understand this metaphor. Because we haven't accepted the fact that we are betrothed to Christ. We are his fiance, going to be married to him. And we have to understand that Jesus has seen us as we truly are in all of our muck, in all of our failures. He's been there with every bit of it for us, and he still paid the price to make us his own. And in that, we can believe that we're accepted, 
so that when someone confronts us of being wrong or sin and invites us to grow, we don't need to feel condemned. We can just feel the invitation in it, whether they're right or wrong. Instead of treating the person like they're a judge, we begin to have our relationships where people confront us of sin or talk to us about right and wrong, and we get to see them as a doctor, a kind friend who's a doctor, trying to help us by pointing out an area. And whether they're right or wrong in their diagnosis, or whether they're right in their diagnosis but wrong in how the healing is going to come, or, or whether they're just wrong altogether, it changes the dynamic in our relationships as people who are the church. You see, it's also part of the gospel. The gospel doesn't divide good and bad people. The gospel divides humble and proud people and those who want to justify themselves. You see, a bride's greatest desire when we think about it is is to give her all to her husband without covering up, without shame, without any kind of embarrassment. In an imperfect world like we are, in an imperfect church like we are, in a body still being cleansed and made whole and, and changed and healed, we relate to each other like imperfect doctors, pointing out something God wants to change and heal. And because we're accepted, we don't have to be condemned. Because we're accepted, that doesn't have to drive wedges in our relationships. Even if the other person is wrong, we can live life eagerly welcoming those friendships and those conversations instead of feeling bad about them. But our ability to stay together is our ability to realize how accepted we are as the bride. Because when we don't, we start carving arms off, we start cutting on ourselves, we start distancing ourselves from the church, and it's all based upon the fact that we do or don't feel like we are accepted, like we are really the bride of Christ, right? And when we do accept that, we can stop being judges And we can stop feeling like we're judged. And we can have honest, great, loving, kind, honest conversations pursuing truth with one another and not feel condemned. So the question is, do we relate to other members of the church as judges? Or do we relate to them as imperfectly kind-intentioned friends, like a doctor trying to bring more beauty to our lives? The third aspect that I think the Bride of Christ teaches us as well is this. The Bride of Christ image also speaks to God's intent that we learn to worship Him, that we learn to have this intimate, beautiful, powerful, fun, interactive relationship with Him, right? The truth is that there's something about our gathered worship where God shows up more powerfully, more more strongly in in our gathered worship than when we're alone, You know, and I realize we're not always going to come together as a church and have these wow, fantastic experiences. That's not part of marriage, is it either, right? Uh, But the Bible and history and and, and God shows us over and over again that there is a uniquely powerful, special way he shows up in our gathered corporate worship that doesn't happen when we're apart. So the question is, do we come to church with the intent of spending time with God Or do we come with the expectation of deciding whether church was good by whether we like the music or the message kept our interest or by the way the people greeted us? You know, do we come as consumers or do we come as worshipers? See, most people who uh, I hear commenting about being disconnected from the church or pulling away from the church and engaging less, whether they're still there or not, use all those statements like, well, church was boring. 
right? Or I wasn't fed enough at church, and therefore it doesn't, it's not meaningful, so I'm not going. It wasn't, it didn't change me. I didn't like the preacher. I didn't like the music. Those are the things you hear from people talking about their disconnects. Now, I'm not trying to belittle the fact that we as a church need to learn to do things with a quality that tries to overcome those things to be as interesting as possible. I'm not belittling that at all. But all of that expectation and focus is on what I do to get from the people leading the service. What do I get, or what do I get from the people leading the service? And there's nothing in those statements of disconnection about owning our own focus on experiencing God or going back to the bride of Christ image, fawning over God, our groom. Do we come with those expectations? You see, a bride is not a consumer. A bride is a lover. And there's a big difference. It's not, a bride is not a taker. But a bride is a giver who enjoys the mutuality of the giving in the relationship. And it's important that we come together, gathering together for this worship experience, prepared to encounter, not coming as skeptical consumers waiting for God or the preacher or the worship leader or something to merit our attention and be interesting enough to grab our attention, but when we're together to be the bride of Christ, to come to worship and to love on God with that motivation. Now, one of the other most frequently used metaphors to describe who the church is is the body of Christ, and Jesus is our head. And and this idea introduces this beautiful, simple idea of unity within diversity. And and it's found in many places, but let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, and it reads this way. It says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. And for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any part, any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. Now, this is where this really hits home. This image hits home for all of us. The question is, what if church really is incomplete without you? What if church is really incomplete without you? See, we all have these strong expectations of church, don't we? That God should provide this. And the, and the reality is that the, the church is, is all of us together. And God says every single one of us, every single one of us, every single person in this room, not one of you left out, every single one of us, all of us together have a role to play. And when any one of us or more chooses to sit on the sidelines, we begin to disconnect the body of Christ. We, we end up making the body of Christ incomplete. We end up making it an aberration of what it's intended to be, full of wounds. It's like a healthy person who's missing an eye or it's not the way God intended us to be. You see, it's a corruption that, that Americans have often looked like, looked at church like it's a, it's a performance. Or look like a, it's a it's a concert. Or we've looked at church as a motivational speaking engagement, trying to get our needs met and try to get that inspiration to keep us going for the next week. Or we come as consumers, attending something, but that's not church. And when we have that expectation, we're going to be disappointed. 
The powerful, life-giving church we all long for can only happen when every one of us engages. No ears on the hand, no fingernails in the eye trying to be the eye. We have to all be who we are, made to be, fitting together in our gifts, in our right place, that God has designed us to function and enjoy and be a blessing at the greatest level possible. All of us finding out what God has designed us to do serving one another and worshiping God and serving the community and loving others to faith in Jesus. Now, some of you think, but I don't have anything to give. I mean, I just don't have anything to give. Paul actually addresses that in the very next few verses. He anticipates the fact that you're going to think that. Paul goes on and he says, so you think you're not honorable enough. You think you've got too much sin, that you're not presentable enough. You're not smart enough. You're not, you don't know enough to be able to make a difference for God and be a part of his purpose, right? And Paul says, baloney. That's hogwash. He says, actually, the less honorable, the less, the less presentable, have more honor in the body of Christ. And that actually comes back to a really important truth, couple truths that we so often miss. It comes back to the essence of the power of the church contrasted with the top reason people disconnect from church. Now, the top reason from studies all the time and from conversations that I hear from people disconnecting from church comes in basic two, basically two forms. One is they're all hypocrites and I, I can't be a part of that. I've got to be a part of people who are real, right? Or sometimes it's said this way, the people in church have so many problems. They're so messed up and there's so many sinful preachers and there's these business Christian leaders in the church who are really horrible bosses. Why would I want to be a part of the church, right? We hear that on a regular basis. And that's because we struggle with that, though, because the focus is on the wrong thing. We completely miss the essence of the power of the church and of being a follower in Jesus when we make that critique. The focus in those negative statements stems from the belief that only those who have been cleaned up, only those who have been perfected and made more presentable, only those with the power are the only ones with the power and credibility to do anything or say anything or on the behalf of God. Only those who can present themselves well, have enough theological knowledge and good enough character can confidently be involved in making a difference for God. And the rest of us, we've got nothing to give. But you see, that, that view is a denial of the heart of the gospel. The gospel says what? Does the gospel say that God loves and empowers and works through only those and accepts those only who are good people? Does the gospel say that he only offers life, a life free from condemnation to those who are good enough to live sin free and control their impulses all the time? No. That's not the gospel at all. God doesn't say that at all, but we oftentimes believe that. God often works best, what Paul is telling us, God often works best through the most broken people who realize that even in my brokenness, even in my dishonor, even in the areas where I am not presentable at all by the world's or moral standards, even in my most unpresentable moments, God loves me. In my worst, God forgives and loves me. And on top of that, not only does he take me right where I'm at, but he doesn't overwhelmingly demand that I change everything all at once. 
He knows I can't. He's patient. He's kind. He loves me for a long time. He nurtures me even if I struggle with something for years and can't overcome it. He's already forgiven me and he loves me. You see, oftentimes God works best and most powerfully through those who are least credible, least honorable, still struggling with sin and being trying to be followers of Christ because the good news is not what we can do and how good we're cleaned up and what we can perform at, but the good news has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with how Jesus loves us now, right where we're at, how he accepts us right now. So the metaphor of the body and the honorable and the not honorable, the more presentable parts and the less presentable parts is really a game changer because it removes the comparison game that we all live life in. And it does one other thing as well. It teaches us to stick together as the church, expecting imperfection, expecting hypocrisy from the things we believe we should be and our actions. That's the very nature of who we are as a people in process. We should anticipate weaker and stronger members, and that is no longer a basis for comparison because Jesus has forgiven every single one of us, and he's accepted and working with each one of us where we're at, and he's patient with us, continuing to be with us through life. See, we are all one, and that oneness is found in Christ's love and leadership. When we get disillusioned with the church, Uh, and we lower our expectations of the church and some of us leave or start to disengage because of the hypocrisy, sin, failure, disappointment of others. But, But that's because we have wrong expectations of who the church is. We expect the church to be cleaned up because that's what we're looking to be ourselves is cleaned up. But Paul says, no, we should expect the church and the people of the church to be anything but perfect and to be a people in process, and to remember that we are one body. So we should treat each other in those moments when we disappoint each other, when we hurt each other, when we're imperfect as one body. And instead of getting disillusioned or mad, Paul actually goes on and concluding his comments in 1 Corinthians 12 to give us a different map for our response. Instead of being disillusioned and angry and leaving and rejecting uh, the church, he says to us, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer. Suffer how? Off in the corner by themselves? Holding them at a distance because they've hurt us or or because we're not presentable because we would embarrass people in, in, in the church if they knew who we were? Do we Do we suffer with them by holding them like that? No, it's a suffer with doesn't it? Suffer with them. Stay in long-term committed relationships above differences. That's where the power of the church is found. And that's the only place that we will ever find an experience of the grace of God. Because that's who God is to us. See, when we leave the church in anger or disillusionment, we totally miss the opportunity. Totally miss the opportunity to be a Christian. To be like Jesus. Because Jesus loved us even when, even when we angered him. He forgave us even when we didn't ask for it. He treated us with kindness even when we disdained him. He pursues us even when we push him away. That's who Jesus is to us. 
And unless we stay together in long-term committed relationships, not pushing each other away, but living like that towards one another, even when we're hurt, even when we've been offended, we never learn the grace of God and we never really truly become a follower of Jesus. And if one member, Paul goes on, is honored, all members rejoice with it. I mean, so, you know what? The next time one of your small group people gets a, a promotion at work, throw them a party. All of you show up. The next time somebody has a good thing happen in their family, throw them a party. All of your, all of your church friends, the people you serve with, let's get together and let's celebrate because that's who the church is. And Jesus expands these same thoughts through the metaphors of church as a family and church as a nation. He's saying basically, you and I are family. In fact, you and I, if we are followers of Christ, are really actually more family than many of us will ever be family with our biological family. That's how big of a deal it is that Jesus is saying. And it goes back to even what we said earlier with the children. It takes a tribe, it takes a family, a whole extended family to raise children well. Jesus also uses the metaphors of the church of a royal priesthood and an army. I don't know if those sound kind of weird being put together, but, but they really go together. And, and, and it's not just what he's saying in that, those metaphors. It's, it's not just me as a preacher. It's not just the small group leaders or the elders or the children's ministry workers who are representatives. It's every one of us. Every single person in this room has been appointed as a priest to represent God to the world. Every single one of us has been appointed that, to speak for God, to guide people towards God, to pray with people and expect that his power will show up as we represent him because we are all priests to him. And the army symbolism goes along with that in terms of the mission. It says to be an army that overcomes evil by doing good, right? And victories in an army are never won solo. They're always won by everybody working together and doing their part. They're not even won by squads. They're won by an entire army doing their part. We win together, not separately. It's this picture of people who are unafraid to live at the gates of hell because we're stronger than hell. We don't have to live life fearful of sin and fearful of sinners and fearful of the evil going out there. We can live next to it with people who are involved in that. Why? Because we are stronger together. And the good that God can do can overcome that evil. We're called to be those strong people who overcome evil with kindness and and goodness and forgiveness. You see, this whole picture is that we are a gathered group of people But we're also sent by our head, our commander-in-chief, God himself, as his representatives. And each one of us gets to go out into the world to make a divine difference, a powerful difference for good. But we can only do it when we truly understand who we are together as the church. Uh, There's one more way outside of the metaphors and the pictures the Bible uses that I think causes us. It's both a cause of our disconnect and being weaker as a church, uh, and it's and it's and it's just something we need to look at. It's it it keeps us from the glory and the abundance God wants us to have in church. And I'm going to use an illustration that I heard from Robert Morris, another pastor, and he said it in first person. So I'm just going to tell it to you like he said it in first person. And the illustration goes like this: He says, "Imagine, imagine I have to go on an extended journey." And I choose three men for a special responsibility from, from the crowd here. And I say to them, I'm gonna go on a, I'm gonna go on a journey and I'm gonna send each of you 10,000 a month and you get to keep 9,000, but I want you to give 1,000 a month to care for my bride, my wife. 
right? And I go away, and about three, four months later, I call my wife, and I say, well, are you receiving the report I arranged for you? And she, her reply is, well, yeah, the first one is giving me $1,000 every month, just like you said they should, and the second one is giving me $2,000 a month. And I don't know why, but he always just says, I'm just so grateful for the gift, and he just gives me 2000 He's just really nice to me. And the third one gave me 800 the first month and 300 the second month and nothing the third month. And as a husband who loves his wife, what do you think I'm going to do? I mean, I'm the one who is providing the money to these men. And I told them they could keep $9,000 of it. They needed to care for my wife with 1000 of it. It was just 10% of it, right? Uh, to the first man, obviously, uh, he's been faithful to the instructions. I'm going to continue to send that money to him. To the third man, he, he's the one who wasn't satisfied with the 90% and, and he, uh, of what I graciously gave him. And, and, and so I'm going to take the 10000 from him and I'm going to give it to the second man who has given my wife 2000 Why? Because I can trust the second man. He's demonstrated care for what I care about. He's demonstrated care for me by what I care about. And, and this is a similar story that Jesus tells in Matthew 25. But here's the point. If we love Jesus, wouldn't we love his bride, the church as well? And see, when we refuse, like we talked about last week, to return a tithe of what God gives us, he gives us everything. When we refuse to turn a tithe, return a tithe to him, to care for his bride and his church, then whose responsibility is it that our experience of church is underwhelming, that we find it to be anemically clothed, we find the ability to produce good fruit for the community is lower than we expect. Whose responsibility is that when we've been selfish, given a gift and not responding to God with obedience to it? I mean, how much greater a blessing, how much more beautiful the church would be if we were gratefully obedient to the one who gives us everything that we have, and who asks us just to return a portion of it to his bride, the church. You see, our disobedience in America, in our giving to the church, makes it that we have this God-ordained desire for church to be here, and we know that that's what it should be, but because we don't respond with our obedience at that level, we respond down here, there's a gap. So what do we expect church to be? Right? See, Part of the reason we're tempted to disconnect from church is because we're disobedient in our giving, leaving church operating with scarcity instead of the joyful abundance God intends for us to operate together as a people. We rob ourselves of the experience we all long for in our faith and in our church. And we have a wrong understanding as well of church and therefore wrong expectations because we're wearing shoes on our hands. And we get frustrated with God because we come to church as a consumer instead of realizing the pictures of the bride of Christ and the body of Christ. And we don't understand how we're all supposed to take a role. We don't understand how when we disconnect, we leave the church anemic because we're not doing our part that God ordained for us to do, right? The church is the hope of the world. Come on, Dusty and team. The church is the hope of the world. You, me, all of us together are the hope of the world. When we live as the bride of Christ, when we live as the body of Christ, when we live as God's family, when we live as the army, when we live through all these metaphors and they become a reality, the church then becomes this place of, of deep friendships so that, so that, you know, I get sick and, and my neighbors start to celebrate 
and want to come to church because they see everybody coming over and mowing my lawn and doing my laundry and bringing meals and they go, what on earth is going on? And, the, and when I'm in the hospital, the nurses all say, I want to go to that church because there's, there's 12 people that have shown up. I've never seen anybody that's cared for in a hospital and they get to see us operating as the body caring for one another. I mean, still one of my, one of my favorite all-time ministry moments was about 20 years ago. I go to the, go to a hospital visit for one of my leaders who had gone in for surgery and was going to be there in, in the hospital for a week. And she looks at me and says, Ross, go home. You don't need to be here. I've already had 12 people come in and I've got another 12 providing meals for my family and doing laundry and doing and taking care of my kids at home. You don't need to be here. Just go home and start continue to teach about who we are as a church because it's working. This is awesome. This is amazing to live life like this. And when we understand the bride of Christ image, we understand that when somebody come, walks into our financial peace university and their life is a complete shambles financially, it's embarrassing how bad they've gotten into finances, but nobody there judges them because many of us have been in the same place. And instead of judging them, instead of putting them down, we all gather around and we've got so many stories of people walking into financial peace university like that and walking out the other end now debt free of credit card and having better marriages and stronger financial lives. And, and that's what the church is. And when someone's life falls apart because of sin, we don't hold them off at a different distance, even if it's embarrassing to us, even if the world's mocking us because they go, look at them. Instead, we hold them close to us and we walk through those circumstances with them in the mess. And it's, and it's us being the body of Christ. When 130 volunteers show up and they make VBS sets this next week on Tuesday and they have other people planning and, uh, and, and all the people show up at VBS and we get to reach a couple dozen unchurched families and we get to do something for our own kids to raise our kids better and we all work together. It's, it, it's when we... It's when we all go on our journey that we are all on. Every single one of us wants to find our meaning in life and where we can make a meaningful difference. And when we discover somebody's passion and their gifts and that matches, we get to, we get to bless somebody who says, you know what, my passion is to start a grief share group. So if somebody starts a grief share group and we get behind them or somebody else says, you know, my passion is for the floor, for the, for the, for the poor and, and I know how to plant and I know how to do a garden. So we start a garden for the poor and we, we provide vegetables and we raise money. That's, it's, us getting behind each other's dreams, helping each other discover those. That's what happens for us. And it's, and it's us being a royal priesthood. And through things like Quest Care, we have a request in now for one of your, one of your unchurched friends who uh, recently got confined to a wheelchair and needs a wheelchair ramp. So we're going to be asking for volunteers when we get that organized in the next few weeks for us to go build a wheelchair ramp. And we get to be the priesthood of God when we actually not just build the ramp, but we actually pray for him. And expect God's presence to come and bless him and touch him and care for him. And we are his representatives. That's who we are as the church. When we believe in God but we don't believe in the church, we undermine ourselves. We undermine the very thing we're critiquing. We disdain the gospel because we don't trust God's forgiveness of me. And we don't trust God's forgiveness of the person sitting down the aisle from you either. But you and I are, the, are Christ's bride. We're his body. We're his family. We're his nation. We're his army overcoming evil with good. And his plan is to bless us in abundance and to make us a blessing because we are his hope for the world. So I want to ask you three questions to think about. How am I a gift to the church? 
You may have never thought yourself as a gift to the church, but you are. How am I a gift to the church? And how am I a gift as the church to the community, maybe in my workplace? How does God want to make me into that in the community? And how is God asking you to respond as his bride, his body, his anointed priest, his soldier, his army to be the church? Would you just ask God like that right now? Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd come and speak to each one of us in the places of our heart that we've been disillusioned with church, struggled with church. Lord, would you correct our view in the places that we've been disillusioned with ourselves, not believing that we have anything to give, Lord, would you come and breathe life to that area and help us discover our purpose in the simple things and in the great things. Holy Spirit, come and make us, make us your church where the gates of hell cannot stand against us, where so much good overcomes so much evil because we exist. Just continue to worship God. That's a true statement. We were made to thrive. Ushers, come on. Let's receive our offering. We're made to thrive. God says he wants our life to be abundance. And it requires we see that. We accept it for what it is and we respond to him with the obedience that allows him to bless us. So, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to give today. We thank you for the great generosity you've provided for us, Lord, the way you have made us wealthy, every one of us in this room, and for the way you have saved us and blessed us and for the way we get to be a part of your good, bringing good to our community, overcoming evil with good. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to give. In Jesus' name, amen. As the ushers are receiving the offering, I want to invite you today to be the church to one another. Each and every one of you are priests of God if you're a follower of Jesus. So if there's anybody next to you that has a healing they need to receive, if there's anybody next to you that has a job situation you need prayer for, if there's a decision, a family decision, you don't have to be specific about it. Just turn to your neighbors and let them pray. And let you let yourself experience God's presence. And if you don't know anybody that you want to turn to, then just come on down and sit on the front row here and somebody will come by and pray with you from the staff or from the board of elders or one of the other prayer people. But let's go this week and let's be the church. And let's expect God to bring great thriving abundance through us in our community. God bless. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.